This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide. And we are live. Welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average podcast. On this week's show, we've got Dr. Karen McDonnell, Occupational Health and Safety Policy Advisor and Head of Rossborough Scotland. Karen, if you just want to introduce yourself. Hi there, uh, Blair. Thanks very much indeed for this opportunity. And indeed, Karen McDonnell, uh, I um, work for Rossborough, um, Occupational Health and Safety Policy Advisor, as you've said. Uh, a further role that I have is the management of the activity associated with the Scottish Occupational Road Safety Alliance. Uh, out with work, in addition to being an IOSH volunteer, I'm a daughter, I'm a wife, I'm a sister and a mum, uh, and uh, endeavour to maintain a good work-life balance. Excellent, excellent. So I don't know if you've seen the format of the podcast before, Karen, but we'd like to just go right back to the beginning where you grew up. Tell us a bit about your early life. Okay. Uh, well, I was I was brought up in Lethem in Perth um, with my mum, my dad and my sister. Um, I'm still in touch with the people that I grew up with. Uh, very much the t- a ties that bind person, you know, like long-term uh, sort of connections with people are really important because I think in times like this, it's those... Uh, connections that sustain us. Um, we had a lot of fun when we were little. Um, we were encouraged to read. We were encouraged to get involved in things, which is something that's continued across across my life. Uh, we were encouraged to explore, uh, and whether it was nature or whether we were learning to canoe or rock climb or ski, um, we certainly weren't risk averse at all uh, in terms of our upbringing. Um, two sets of parents, uh, and we used to go to the Costa del Dunkeld or Pitlochry or Loch Tayside uh, for our, our family holidays. But certainly there was no cotton wool uh, in our in our lives. You know, we're encouraged to, to get out there and, and live it. And um, I've always recalled thinking about my dad. If you ever had a little sniffle or you just weren't feeling quite right, he would say, oh, away on your bike. Away and run, have a run on your bike for a few miles and come back and you'll feel so much better. So uh, very much encouraged to be um, out and about, engaging with people and uh, just really making the most of it, I think. Quite an active outdoor lifestyle as well. Absolutely. I wish I, I wish I still had the same today, although I have um, just during COVID managed to get a little bit more fresh air uh, into my life and, life and actually out on the bike again. So that's, that's, uh, that's no mean feat. It's amazing how many people have taken a positive out of being stuck at home with a lockdown with COVID-19 and going yeah. out and doing that little bit of exercise and how much it improves your mood and puts you in a better frame of mind. Mm. Yeah, oh, for me, it's, it's really, really important. I mean, I, um, I'm working from home at the moment in a, in a small village bike in Ross uh, and I do miss going to work with my colleagues, although we do, we're doing a lot in this kind of medium we're talking through tonight. Uh, but the extra time that I have, because I'm not commuting to and from work, you can use very positively. So um, I'm a great one for always looking at that sort of little chink of light at the end of the tunnel in terms of what, what, what the benefits are. So I think there are benefits there, although um, I know that it's a very difficult situation for many people uh, to be in for all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. 
it's been really challenging over the past few weeks with the lockdown and then the potential easing of the restrictions now starting to come and seeing a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So if we progress on a little bit, Karen, just to talk about your first job. What was your first job kind of coming out of school? Uh, well, coming out of school, um, I, well, I literally, I went straight to, to college from school. Uh, I went to um, Bell Street College in Dundee. It's now called Aberty University. Yeah. Uh, so and I was on what they called the sandwich course in those, those days, you know. Uh, so you spent some time uh, at college and you spent other time out in placement. Uh, and um, I had a job in Oddbins in Perth in the old city centre, St John's Centre uh, in Perth. Um, and also, well, I met my husband also uh, at Bell Street um, College and he's also a chartered member of IOSH. So you could say that, you know, every aspect of my life is kind of blended uh, together. Um, when I was prepping for this evening, I was thinking about, um, I mentioned having, uh, I've got two children. I've got daughter Emily Kate, who's 27, and our son Jack, who's 25. And I remember um, Jack coming running in from the garden one day. Maybe he would be about three and he's shouting, Mum, Dad, there's a hazard in the garden. And we looked at each other like, what have we done? But he was absolutely bang on. You know, so we went out, he pointed out where I was, it was resolved and everything moved on from there. So, um, from... From Dundee College, uh, I went across to um, university, the University of Strathclyde, uh, where I did um, applied microbiology. And um, I think you know the, the message that you can get from this is there is indeed no wrong path to be a health and safety advisor or a not an OSH policy advisor. Um, it's that kind of rich tapestry of things that blends people together. Although I have to say I'm really delighted that more people are now choosing to come into our shared profession as a first option because it's such a rewarding profession to be part of. Um, I was actually, um, whilst I've been backwards and forwards to Glasgow in the intervening years, uh, I actually was asked to speak at the Big Safety Day at the University of Strathclyde this year. Uh, to do with driving risk because they were just about to launch uh, their driving risk at work policy. Um, so I spoke to maybe 80 or 90 of their health and safety related uh, practitioners uh, and I was actually so excited to be just across from the building that um, I graduated from that I drove past the car park twice. So um, it's um, a, a, a huge significance uh, sort of that type of uh, approach is to be able to go back and take a different aspect to your life back uh, to where you've come from. So, hugely rewarding. Yeah, I totally understand that. I was asked a few months ago to, just before the lockdown, to go back and speak at the University of the West of Scotland. And I've done that on a couple of occasions um, for the health and safety degree that I graduated for, for the new students mm -hmm. and just telling them about the benefits of IOSH and to get them signed up to the new student member grade as well. And uh, it was really, really rewarding going back into that environment where you've graduated from, where you studied and put all the hard effort in, put mm. the hard yards in at the start of your career. So, yeah, it was, it was really good. Mm. Yeah. And then I kind of went from, you'd be thinking I was a serial student, but I pretty much was, you know. So, uh, after Strathclyde, uh, I went to Napier Polytechnic. It's now, I think it's Napier University of Edinburgh that yeah. uh, is entitled now. Uh, to do my PhD, um, and that relates to the study of the thermal environment in hotel kitchens. I had to check the title because I've not looked at it for such a long time. Uh, so, and I kind of there, um, I had 
supervisory team from, from Napier uh, and also from the Institute of Occupational Medicine. So I kind of think that's where I started getting on my way to having an involvement in occupational health and safety uh, as a career, as opposed to a, a sort of sequence of, of study. Um, while I was at uh, Napier, I also was involved in uh, sort of lecturing and tutoring and um, supervision of degree level students uh, in live lab environments also. So I think all those elements started to sort of blend together and give me an insight into how important it is to look after uh, sort of people at work and their, and their well-being. Totally, Karen, totally. And then from there, how did you move into your kind of more focused first health and safety job that was purely focusing on health and safety and where was that? Okay, well, um, I concluded my, my, my PhD and then was looking for a role and a role with ROSPA came up. A role came up with ROSPA in Edinburgh that was focused on uh, the delivery of training uh, so I joined them as a as a training officer. Um, there, had, there was myself and half an admin person, and uh, we set about uh, bringing um, awareness or raising awareness of what ROSPA can do in the workplace, uh, both in terms of delivering a service like IOSH programs, NEBOSH programs, but also in terms of developing the policies and helping people to develop uh, policy positions on what really matters in terms of keeping people safe and healthy. Uh, in the workplace environment. So um, that was a while ago now. Uh, that was in uh, 1989. And um, I also joined IOSH in 1989. So again, it's that sort of blending together of everything, which there just seems to have been all the way through. Uh, but, but when I reflect back on it, there, there was no, there was never any conscious decision to do any of these particular pieces. Uh, but I always think that's a, a hugely reassuring thing for other people to hear, you know, because I meet lots of people who knew exactly what they wanted to do when they left school and, and sought out to do it. And I just think that I'm in the best of places uh, working for ROSPA and my volunteering experience with IOSH also, and for having done both for such a long period of time and the privilege associated with that. Excellent, Karen. Excellent. So you started out as a training officer at ROSPA and then progressed through your career to your current position. Do you want to just talk us through the positions that you've been in and your roles at ROSPA? Okay. Um, well, the, the team developed. Uh, so we then had some directly employed training staff. So I was responsible for uh, the recruitment and development of those. Um, ensuring they got to chartered member of IOSH status. Um, very much about developing ROSPA's position within the network in, this, in a Scottish context. So that's perhaps developed since about the mid-2000s, 2005 onwards, where uh, we had, for example, the establishment of a higher performers forum, where we brought higher performing organisations within a, a, a local context together to discuss really what matters within local context, culture and industry here in Scotland. And that's a model that can be replicated uh, anywhere uh, in the world. Uh, we're very fortunate within a Scottish context of the Partnership on Health and Safety uh, in Scotland that meets three times a year uh, and brings all the key stakeholders together. So um, that, that type of conversation has allowed um, us all, I think, to understand more about how to get things right 
uh, within a Scottish context, and that's reflected in the conversations that are happening here just now in relation to how we respond uh, to COVID. Um, I, I, as, as head of ROSPA in Scotland, uh, I have an overseeing role working with a phenomenal team uh, of people. Um, I, I feel I should mention here Liz Lumsden, uh, and also Carleen McAvoy, who are responsible for community safety aspect of who we are and what we do, uh, and Carolyn Reid, who supports me to uh, work in OSH policy terms and also in terms of occupational uh, road safety. Um, from, a, from a ROSPA perspective, we, we very much think about whole people and whole lives. You know, my focus is the working age population, uh, but I think those of us who are at home in lockdown perhaps have a greater understanding of the challenges associated with sharing an environment with your uh, younger or older uh, people and how important it is to get safety messages into the home and leisure and road related environments also. So it's very much a whole person, whole life approach uh, that we have. Um, and then latterly, uh, I think in the last five years, Occupational Health and Safety Policy Advisor, um, I worked alongside and still do work with uh, Roger Bibbins and I used to joke it was almost like being the, the sorcerer's apprentice, you know, to, to listen to his uh, incredible ability to distill down what the issues of the day are and what ROSPA's response should be and how we could play our part because each, each partner in our OSH community has got a very specific role uh, to play, so it's very much for us been about identifying policy that's relevant to our community and finding out ways of working with others uh, just to make that difference. So that's my most recent, my most recent uh, position, and it's a position that I love to be in. I absolutely love it. And you also mentioned your volunteering work with IOSH, Karen. On top of all of your other roles, you've also been the IOSH president. Um, indeed couple of years ago and we had the president-elect on the Safer Than Your Average podcast a couple of weeks ago. Do you want to just tell us a bit about that experience? Yeah, now I, I was having a laugh because I, I had to go and look at the back of this to remember when it was and it was in 2015-16 that I was IOSH president. Uh, huge pride, absolutely incredible. Um, volunteering with IOSH, as I mentioned earlier, has been a huge part of my, my life, full stop. Um, it's been fantastic in terms of um, the support that I've had from, obviously, my support from ROSPA to allow me to use uh, some of their time uh, to um, assist, uh, assist our volunteer network. Um, from 1989, I had, I've always been involved in Edinburgh branch of IOSH. Um, and I was involved when the numbers uh, were increasing to an extent and then the geographical distribution dictated that we would have an IOSH 4th and T district of Edinburgh branch. So, uh, and now I've seen in recent years that taking fully-fledged branch status also. Um, so for me, it's, it's just evidence of the willingness of people to, to want to improve standards within a local context, you know, for people to want to come together. Uh, and volunteering is very good for you. You know, it's, it's a great thing to do. It gives you a real sense of added value. Um, and to be part of IOSH Council, to be elected into a vice president 
uh, role uh, and then to ultimately be president um, is uh, sometimes you've, it's almost like um, you can almost not believe it at this point, you know, four years, five years down the line that you've had such a, an honourable, an honour to represent our membership uh, across the globe and almost like to bask in its reflected glory about what we've achieved, you know. So, um, yeah, a huge honour indeed. And I'm privileged still to be uh, part of council um, and to be able to help people develop. That, that's really a huge honour. And this is probably quite a difficult question, but we like to ask it on the Safer Than Your Average podcast, and it is, who's been the most influential person or people across your career? Um, I, again, I have to be really honest with you and say that I learn from everybody. You know, whether it was my three-year-old son running in from the garden to say, oh, there's a hazard, or whether it's uh, people that... Um, I've, I've been part of, or still are part of, uh, my working life or my volunteering life. Um, and I, I don't normally mention people by name, but I think that uh, there's um, Ian Waldrum, uh, and he's will be well known, I'm certain, within IOSH Scotland uh, Networks. He was president of IOSH, I've written it down, 1999 to 2000. Uh, a great friend, Russell Brownlee, uh, who was president much earlier than that, but I've been unable to just nail what year it was. But uh, Russell's uh, was a, was a huge influence um, and very supportive, and was chairing one of my committees until he was a very elderly gentleman and doing it extremely well. Uh, and also, I've mentioned Roger Roger Bibbins, who sort of encouraged me to think differently and. So I think the challenge for us is maybe to think out with traditional boundaries and see how we can make make better use of the skills that we have as individuals and and as part of organisations. So I would I would pick single those out, um, but it's quite difficult for me to pick and choose because I see I'm influenced by everybody all the time. And when we were off camera, we were having a little chat about the Rospa Awards. Can you tell us a bit about the background to the Rospa Awards, Karen, and what they entail? Okay, uh, the Rospa Awards, I think, are in their 65th year uh, this year. Uh, they encourage high-performing organisations to tell their story. The story is underpinned by the data that we all understand as practitioners, um, but we encourage them to share what's worked for them, perhaps what's not gone so well. Uh, we encourage them to share across the safety occupational health and well-being spectrum um, and one thing that we've done recently uh, with the awards is linked directly back into our policy work so um, a theme that we were working on last year and the thing is we don't pick things up and put them down again you know we, we pick them up and then we keep them moving forward so uh, last year we asked people what they were doing about fatigue uh, and fatigue and drive and risk, and that's something you've uh, helped us uh, with in terms of SCORSA in a recent webinar. Uh, and the other piece was about falls from height, because falls from height don't need to happen, uh, and we need to get better understanding why. So we added those into uh, the mix with the question set um, in a question that used to be known as the pride question. So it would be like, what, 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 what are you most proud of? So we thought, right, we're going to distill this down and link it right back in to our policy work. 
Uh, so we sort of see that as like policy driving excellence. So we can glean all these case studies about what's worked well uh, from these organisations and share them across the network. Um, so that's the ROSP Awards in a nutshell. I'm hugely privileged. I mean, we have, they're in about, they're in 20 plus countries now. Uh, and um, I've got a network of ambassadors that I work with in specific geographies uh, that help us uh, provide mentoring to other entrants to help them understand how to take the step into the awards or how to understand how to uh, tell their story. You know, what, what isn't jumping off a page? You know, how do you, how do you tell your story in its richest possible way so people really understand the work that practitioners are putting in to put these submissions together? I also think that it's probably one of the biggest pieces of reflective practice um, a practitioner can do on an annual basis is putting together uh, that kind of submission. And you mentioned Scalza there. Scalza come highly recommended from the Safer Than Your Average podcast. They're doing some brilliant work. If you get Thank a chance, you. sign up with Scalza. It's a free organisation to join and it focuses on small to medium sized enterprises as well as big organisations, getting them together to discuss road risk and the management mm -hmm. of road risk. If you want to just tell us a bit more about Scorsa, Karen. Absolutely. Um, Scorsa is funded, uh, is grant funded, uh, but only for innovative thinking. So we're not funded for just maintaining a network of people. Uh, we've got just under 500 companies uh, in Scotland, do you say, is aimed at small to medium sized enterprises. Uh, but we also um, have some large organisations in there that take us take the messages into the supply chain. It's all about connecting around issues associated with driving risk. Uh, so whether it's fatigue, driver health, uh, bringing your fleet out of mothball after furlough, uh, all these challenges that people have when they drive uh, for work. One of the issues that we've been reflecting on recently is the fact that a high percentage of people haven't been driving for, for quite a considerable period of time you know, because we are still in phase one of lockdown here in Scotland. I know it varies across the world, but um, essential travel. So there's a lot of people that have not been using the roads as frequently. Uh, we've got some new people using the roads. We've got more cyclists. We've got more pedestrians. We've got more people taking different forms of exercise. So it's all about maintaining an understanding of what the challenges are and having this shared space. Um, one of the pieces of work we've most recently completed is in relation to the gig economy uh, and information for drivers and riders in the gig economy. So uh, all this information is free um, because we're having a challenge as everybody else is at the moment having face-to-face -face meetings. Uh, SCORSA members, and as you said, Blair, it is free. Um, you can join up, you can have a, an hour's conversation with us on a Tuesday afternoon once a week if that's what needs your organisation needs to start getting the rudiments in place or even looking at refining your policy. And we are, provide, we are provided uh, with funding from Transport Scotland to make that happen uh, towards uh, safer roads for everybody across Scotland. Excellent, thank you, Karen. And you're obviously a very experienced occupational health and safety person and quite a distinguished career. You've got quite a lot of background in mentoring and coaching high-performing people. What advice would you give to someone starting out in health and safety today? 
first of all, based on the what I've already said, is there's no wrong path. You know, for me, it's about finding what interests you and then sticking with it uh, until you do make that difference. I think my dad um, used to always say, if you want to make a difference, get involved, you know, get your sleeves rolled up, go in there, don't sort of say, oh, I think this could be done differently, you know, so it's very much about uh, getting your sleeves rolled up. I would encourage people to volunteer uh, for IOSH. Um, I would just say about this, trying to make yourself as visible as possible. So if you are given an opportunity to record for safer than average, don't doubt the opportunity, you know, don't, don't sort of shy away from it, think, well, that's an opportunity to be visible. Um, uh, and to be connected to your peers. Uh, I know that um, as a, a home worker, um, that to have the ability to speak to people all over the world about something that interests me and about where, what they can tell me about where they are in their working life, uh, I think the connections are what sustains us. So I would always say, um, stay visible. And I've scribbled down here, don't take yourself too seriously. You know, these podcasts are all about trying to put the message out there, but letting people see the human side behind yeah. the name that you see, the name and the picture you see on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Well, the fact, I think I have to say, the fact I had to bring this to remember when I was president tells you that that's how it is here. <laughs> <laughs> And before we look at summing up, Karen, you've had a long and distinguished career, as I mentioned. Um, what's the biggest challenge you've faced across your career as a health and safety professional? I think that um, there is this, this whole piece, and it, it is different now than when I started out, but um, I think sometimes when I reflect back on, because it is like 30 plus years, uh, is that um, the proportion of women has gradually increased over time. Uh, so I think that whilst there were never any barriers or real challenges, I think to be um, a woman in a man's world for quite a long period of time um, can be intimidating and challenging. Uh, but obviously, I've managed to thrive despite that, you know. Um, I think I've always had the challenge about, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Um, and the year I was president, I did uh, give a, a President's Distinguished Service Award to the entire Irish staff at the Grange for making sure I got to where I should be at the right time uh, with everything I needed to be there, you know. So um, that's a, a personal challenge in mine organisationally, you know. So um, I, I think that if, if, you, if, you, if you get connected to the right people, at the right time and then stay with it as you progress through and always use them as a sense check. I think that's really advice that I would give. Yeah. Definitely. It's really important to build your network and ask people for help. I've found as well across my career, don't be shy and saying, mm -hmm. can you help me out with this? I've never had a negative reaction from someone when I've asked yeah. for help, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think that is, um, and there's, there's, I could genuinely say that there's very few occasions where I've sought assistance from people that they've not then been forthcoming. Uh, but then I'm, I'm always there for other people. You know, we were speaking earlier about mentoring, you know, so that ability to maybe not provide the, the, the mentoring support yourself, but just knowing that person who's in that niche environment who can help the person that's here. I think that that's, sort of, that's really what helps us build our networks. 
So how do people get in touch with you, Karen, or get in touch with Scorza or Rospa if they want to sign up as members? Okay. Uh, you, well, I'm on LinkedIn. You can definitely find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm a user of, of Twitter, so at Dr. K. McDonnell. Um, so you can find me on there. Um, if you want, we can we can put the, the links on. Yeah, the I'll put the links on the podcast description yeah, yeah. Um, and Rospa as well for the website. Yeah, yeah the, so, the Scorsa uh, website's there to be used and also uh, the Rospa uh, website, which will, which includes our awards um, and what we're doing in relation to COVID also. So we've got a hub there uh, because I'm almost daily, as, well, more than daily, uh, assisting and supporting organisations, signposting them to the right uh, information and advice. So all that's there for you. Okay, thank you very much, Karen, and thank you for getting involved in the Safer Than Your Average podcast. We really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been fantastic talking to you. That's great. Thanks very much indeed. <laughs> thank you, Karen. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Safer Than Your Average. Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 crisis, the IOSH West of Scotland Certificate of Merit Dinner was cancelled this year meaning our charity partner, The Beatson, has not had funds raised for them that we would normally donate after the dinner. If you've enjoyed the podcast and you're able to donate anything at all, please see the link in the podcast description for our Just Giving page to donate what you can. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide.